Hey, have you guys ever been in a situation where you thought you were trying to help, us, help somebody out or help a situation, but you ended up making the situation worse? This has happened to me just the, uh, the other day. Julie and I were driving back from uh, rural north central Iowa, and we were at one of those exits that really just leads to a county road back onto the interstate, really an exit to nowhere. There's really nothing else around. And we pull off onto the on-ramp, and it's dark. It's almost 9 o'clock at night, and uh, I see a car pulled off to the side of the road, blinkers on, and somebody I can see kind of in the, the light of the, the blinker is kind of scurrying around the car. And uh, part of what God does as I prepare to, to preach is he works in my heart. And I'm like, okay, God, I got to do good works now. So I, I pull off to the side of the road and I hop out of the car. And uh, the guy uh, comes around the corner and uh, he has his hands up in the air kind of like this. I'm thinking, I'm not a cop. It's okay. And uh, he comes around the corner. He's like, oh, I'm okay. And, and he has a real nervous twinge to his voice. I'm like, are you sure you're okay? Is everything all right? Is your car okay? He goes, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Really, everything's okay. I'm like, are you, are you sure? Can I call someone for you? You know, can I help you out? He goes, no. I, and there's a, there's a noticeable pause, like he's debating on if he should say something or not. And he goes, there's just nothing around here. There's not even a rest area. And I had to go. So... <laughs> I'm okay. God bless you for stopping. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, all I want to do is help this guy if he has a flat tire or something. And I ended up making it worse. Well, worse for him. I got a funny story out of the deal. Um, but I mean, haven't we all been in that situation where we try to help somebody out and we inevitably just make the situation worse? That's kind of where we're at now. As we close out our series in Titus, that's exactly where we find ourselves. Paul, just as way of a quick recap, if you haven't been with us, this is your first Sunday joining us in the series, uh, just as a, a quick recap, Paul wrote this letter to Titus to share with uh, the church in Crete. Paul had left Titus, most likely, most scholars believe that Titus was someone uh, that was converted to the faith as a result of Paul's ministry, and uh, Paul liked Titus a lot, viewed him as a leader, and left him in Crete to establish the church, to help appoint elders, and help organize kind of the, the the running of the church, if you will. And this letter that Paul writes is to address some issues that, uh, that the church has and to help Titus kind of figure out how to, to deal with some certain things. Now, Crete as an island and as a city, they were the messed up people. There's a reason why today we still call people Cretans, all right? At least I do anyway. Maybe I'm weird like that. But there's still a reason why that's a very popular and well-known saying. And it because they lived lives of selfish indulgence, focusing on themselves. And as much as we like to say we're transformed creatures in Christ, a lot of times the old habits come back. So this morning, we're going to take a look at how we're to live our lives. In light of everything we have learned in this series in Titus, we're going to take a look at, so what? What do we do now? How are we to live differently? And ultimately, it kind of boils down to this. You have two ways and two choices to live. On one hand, you can live a life of selfless devotion to God and to others. And on the other side, you can live a life of selfish devotion to yourself and your own wants and your own needs. One way helps the church, helps the ministry, and furthers the gospel. The other side, the other way of living, hurts the gospel, hurts the church, and tears things down. So the big question I want you guys to focus in on today is this. Is my life helping or hurting 
the work of Waukee Community Church? Is my life helping or hurting the ministry of the gospel? But before we dive into that, let's pray. Father God, I pray this morning, um, first off, that you would be glorified. I pray that the words that I say are not mine. Um, I pray that the words would be your words and that as a result of these words, we would leave here transformed, ready to do good works, ready to serve others, ready to serve you so that in doing so, more people will come to know Jesus Christ. Father, transform us. Don't leave us where we're at. Make us more like your son. We thank you and we love you. In Christ's name, amen. So, Starting in verse 8, uh, there's, there's, we see kind of a, a structure of how this, this passage lays itself out. Starting in verse 8, Paul starts off by saying, this saying is trustworthy. And basically what Paul is communicating to us there is everything that we, I just said about the gospel, everything else that I've said before this, it is trustworthy. You can believe it. You can bank on it. So everything that Ryan said last week about the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is true. Paul is saying it is true. You can trust it. You can bank on it. You can believe it. And if, Paul was, if God told Paul to say that to Titus and Titus to tell it to the church in Crete, by extension, we can trust it too. The gospel is true. Let that sink in for just a moment. What Ryan talked about so well last week and, and in that what the gospel is all about, it is true. It is beautiful. It is glorious. It is the most magnificent message that has ever been communicated. The fact that we as sinful people, rebellious before God, were loved by God. That he loves us in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our sin. And that he sent Christ to die on a cross in our place as we just celebrated around the communion table. That's the gospel. And that he calls for us to surrender the arms of our rebellion and to repent of our sin and to renew ourselves and restore relationship with him that we have because of what Christ has done. And when we, when we lay down the arms of our rebellion, when we repent of our sins, he will not only just forgive us for the next life, he comes to be with us in this life. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells with us and changes us, and empowers us, and transforms us, and gives us a mission to do. Friends, that is good news. That's fantastic news. And in because of this, because of the good news, Paul is saying to Titus, look, this is true. So Titus, you need to insist on these things. This may be an overlooked phrase as you're reading. You may not necessarily catch out pick up on this, but it's so vitally important because Paul is addressing Titus and he's addressing leaders and he's addressing people of influence in the body. What Paul is about to say, he's saying that as leaders, people of influence, we need to insist on these things. So leaders of the church, fellow elders, uh, life group leaders, disciple makers, parents, other people of influence. If you have someone that looks up to you, big brothers, big sisters, your younger brothers and sisters look up to you. You are a person of influence. You are a leader. You need to insist on these things. And then in verse 8, it goes on. So the saying is trustworthy. I told you the truth. I want, because of that, I want you to insist on these things so that those who believed, 
The rest of this message then is for everyone. It's for everyone in the church. If you really believe that this gospel message, that you were renewed, regenerated, justified, co-heirs with Christ, that's our new identity, then you have no choice but to live a different life. We should live differently because we are different. A butterfly doesn't go back to crawling on the ground, right? What does a butterfly do after the metamorphosis? The caterpillar goes in the cocoon, spends some time hanging out in there, pops out, has wings. It's a butterfly. It's a new creature, and it flies away. So too, we are new creatures in Christ, and we should not return to crawling on the ground. We should live differently. The point of all this is this, that we have a choice to make. In light of the glorious gospel that God has shared with us, we have a choice to make. As the church here in Waukee, as Waukee Community Church, we have a choice to make in our lives. Will we live lives helping the ministry of this church or will we live lives that hurt the ministry of this church? All of us, but especially those of us who have influence, those of us who are leaders, should insist, we should demand, and we should compel people to live lives that help others rather than hurting the ministry of the church. So now you're sitting there and thinking, you convinced me. I need to live differently. Great. We're like 10 minutes into the sermon. We can go home now, right? No, no. Because there's two ways to live in this. And I want to flesh these out a little bit more because sometimes we think we're helping when in reality all we're doing is hurting. And the first thing I want to focus on actually is in verses 9 through 11. And this is the wrong way to serve. This is the wrong way to serve. In verses 9 through 11, we kind of see a, a picture of a person who is causing problems within the church. This is a person who is arguing over the law. This is a person who is focused on foolish controversies. That, and all of these things led to division and dissension and ultimately, Paul says, these are unprofitable, unfruitful, and they're worthless. This is how the unfruitful live. They put themselves ahead of others. And this church was allowing their, this disagreement to destroy the bonds of brotherhood. Now, we don't know what the exact nature of the dispute was. Paul doesn't tell us. But I want you to understand, it wasn't just a conflict Paul wasn't afraid of conflict. Paul wasn't afraid of disagreements. Paul wasn't afraid of a difference of opinion. Paul oftentimes was bold in his confrontation when it mattered. These are foolish, irrelevant things. Moreover, Paul felt that the way they were handling these foolish and irrelevant things was foolish and unprofitable. You have to understand that the selfish person, the selfish person seeks uniformity with their viewpoint. There's a slight difference. Unity means that we're harmonious. We can, we, we may be different. We may play drums or guitar or piano, but we're all playing the same song. Uniformity means we're all playing guitar. We're all singing the same pitch and it's boring. It's drab. And we insist we all have to look the same. That's a cult. We don't insist on those things. We can differ on opinions. We can have differing views on things. Let me, let me put it to you this way. I hate tuna noodle casserole. I do. It is the most disgusting dish ever. 
Julie made tuna noodle casserole the other day for herself and Lucas for lunch. First thing I did was I came home. I'm like, what does that smell? Oh, that's disgusting. And she's like, it's tuna noodle casserole. I'm like, I knew it. And then she's like, we had to leave that night and uh, we had a babysitter come and Julie said, well, Lucas didn't eat his tuna noodle casserole for lunch. He has to eat it for dinner. I'm like, don't punish the poor child. <laughs> Two meals? Come on. Tuna noodle casserole. Now, Julie, as you can probably gather, loves tuna noodle casserole. She thinks it's fantastic. If Julie, for every Sunday, for the rest of our marriage, till death do us part, made tuna noodle casserole, is that a license for me to withdraw from her, to have a barrier between in our relationship, or even ultimately divorce her? No. Now, in the world's eyes, it is. And I want to draw that distinction. In the world's eyes, yes, because I'm not happy. My needs are not being met. It's unreasonable for me to be expected to eat tuna noodle casserole every Sunday because I don't like it. That's all about me. But God compels us to live a different life. God compels us to live a life that puts others first. These people weren't doing that. Now, on the flip side, and I'm saying this mainly so Julie doesn't think that it's now okay to make tuna noodle casserole every Sunday till death do us part, is that if Julie did that, knowing that I don't like it, would that be okay? No, because she's putting her, she's like, I like it. It's nutritious. It's not horribly expensive. So let's make it every Sunday. Awesome. And she's like, no, because she knows that I don't care for it. So she finds ways to, to enjoy that where I don't have to be subject to its nastiness. And so like at lunch, she'll have it for lunch or she'll have it uh, when I'm overseas, halfway around the world, because then I really don't have a chance of smelling it. But that's the point. Is there's that ultimately, there is no need for us to, to have conflict over this issue. Because when we fight over tuna noodle casserole, we expend capital in a fight over something that is ultimately meaningless. How does this play itself out in the church? Very quickly, a real quick example. Bible translations. In some churches, it is the biggest, most contentious issue around. You know, we're we only will accept this translation of Scripture. If you read one, another translation of Scripture, you're marginal at best. You might be a heretic. Why? That doesn't make any sense to me. Ultimately, those are, that I think is what Paul is driving at here. We should never be a church that is marked by knowing what our, that our preferences, we make those preferences law and we expect everyone else to come in behind. The problem is, is that when we focus on ourselves and our need to be right, we mar the beautiful gospel and we destroy the bride of Christ. Is your desire to be right worth that cost? Are you willing to put aside your differences with someone on a preference issue? I'm not, I'm not talking about sin. Sin is a completely different animal that I, I don't have time to get into today. But preferences. Are you willing to put aside those preferences to help the ministry of the church? Or are you going to allow those things to take root in your heart and become bitter over them and hurt the ministry? Helping the ministry of the church, helping Waukee Community Church achieve its God-given mission means that we will put other people ahead of ourselves rather than making our preferences and our wants and our desires paramount. Because the goal in these arguments the goal in this argument that we see in this passage was they wanted to win. 
Our goal should be the truth, all right? As a complete aside, as we head into the political season, Christians, let me implore you, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. That's not my place. But I will challenge you to be people of the truth. So when candidate A makes a claim, and it may be your candidate that makes this claim, but you're like, no, that's not really true. Be bold for the cause of truth. Ultimately, we already have our leader, and he is Jesus Christ. And he serves, and he is the agent of truth. We too should be agents of truth. So you're sitting there now and you're like saying, okay, well, I get that. I don't want to hurt the work of the church. How do I help? How do I help the work of the church? How do I help the furtherance of the gospel? How do I help Waukee Community Church achieve its God-given mission? And I think that's a good question. I think ultimately we all want to help Waukee Community Church achieve what God has called us to do. Sometimes I just think we we act in a way and we make these major things or these minor things major things. We take little molehills and we make them mountains and we're willing to die on them. One of my favorite phrases is that I'll say, you know, I am convinced that X is true, whatever the issue may be, but that's not a hill I'm going to die on. And I think we need to adopt that philosophy. That's how we should live with issues. If we should, now, there are issues I will die for, the inerrancy of Scripture, the supremacy of Christ, those kind of things, those are hills I'll die on. But other things, it's not worth it because ultimately it becomes about winning and not about truth. The world, because when we do that, we give the world a different picture. We show the world that despite our differences, we can rally around the one core cause of the church which is taking the gospel and making disciples. When we act in the way that the church in Crete was acting, we show the world we're no different than them. I mean, think about, I mean, you just think about this. Foolish controversies. That's what CNN and Fox News thrive on. Foolish controversies. They got to fill 24 hours of news, so they make up news, I think, sometimes. Genealogies. Like, well, how does that, what does that have to do with anything? I don't know. I think there's been a pretty big movement around some people about making a certain elected official show his birth certificate. And this is how the world does. Quarrels about the law. Well, I think the law says this, or I think the law says that, and we can't do this because the law says... That's how the world operates. Friends, as the church, we have to be different. We have to present an alternative to the world. So if you want to help, if you want to help the cause of Christ, if you want to help the work of Waukee Community Church, this is what Paul tells us to do. To help, the first thing we have to understand is there's a right way to serve. And the first thing that we see in that is that we need to be devoted to good works. Devoted to good works. Now, I think for a lot of you, you're thinking, well, what does it mean to be devoted to good works? Let me give you an example of devotion. Um, not long after Julie and I got married, uh, we were going, uh, the church we were attending, uh, they came to me and said, would I be willing to be a living prop uh, in the kids' Christmas program? In essence, they were going to put a costume on me, and I was just supposed to pretend like I'm in the market and I'm selling things, okay? Typical kids' Christmas program, so I'm wearing the, you know, the robe and looking like the Middle Eastern guy. And um, so I'm like, yeah, I can do that. That's not a problem. Well, the problem was is that um, halfway through December, right before the kids' Christmas program, 
half the elementary school in Winterset, that's where we were living at the time, half the elementary school in Winterset got hit by a nasty flu bug, and a lot of their parents did as well, including the lady who was supposed to be coordinating the kids' Christmas program. So they decided to push the kids' Christmas program off into January, once everybody was healthy, get past Christmas, so it was the post-Christmas program. And uh, it just so happened that the day that they rescheduled this was the date of the uh, 1996 NFC Championship game when the Dallas Cowboys defeated the Green Bay Packers. And I thought it was a good day. Um, so I'm, and I'm there, and I, I was able to watch, like, the first half, and then I set the VCR. That's how long ago it was. Um, I set the VCR to record the second half of the game. I take my radio in my costume. I go up. I'm backstage. I'm huddled around my radio listening to the game. And a couple times they're like, Tom, you're on in five minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're on now. Oh, okay. So I'm running out there. And, and this happened twice during the rehearsals where I almost ruined the kids' Christmas program because I'm more devoted to my football game than I was to doing what and being selfless and, and serving these kids and allowing them to have a, a great Christmas program. You see, the difference between doing good works and being devoted to good works is that a person who does good works is like the guy who catches the game if it's on. You know, I've got other things. Oh, I'm, I've got a couple hours free. Oh, the game's on. I'll watch the game. Devoted to good works is like me. It takes priority. It takes preeminence. It takes it's, it's the thing for you. It's your life. Paul wants us to live a life with our radars up, it's always seeking ways to do good works. It's a lifestyle. Paul says here that we are to be careful to devote ourselves. I don't know how to be careful without making a conscious effort. So we always have to be mindful. We always have to be thinking about ways that we are going to go out and serve other people. It's a conscious choice to serve both inside and outside the church, even if we receive no recognition or glory in this life. As an aside, the good news is that God sees that and we get our recognition later. But maybe at this time we don't get recognition. So let me ask you, what's your lifestyle? What's your lifestyle? What do you do? What is your attitude toward good works? What is your attitude toward serving other people? Is service something that consumes you? Or are they just kind of like a, a, an add-on to your life? Do you constantly find ways to do good things for people, to encourage people, to pray for people, to, to lift people up? Do you do the right thing even if it's costly? Do you stop on the side of the road to help the stranded motorist even though it's 9 o'clock at night and all you really want to do is get home? And it turns out he doesn't need your help after all. Do you take that phone call from a friend even though you've had a long day at work and you're tired and dinner's on the table and it's going to get cold but your friend calls and all they really need is a listening ear? Do you, like, do you say, hey, can I call you back when I'm done with dinner? Or do you just stop and say, God, I'm going to do what you want me to do, and I'm going to listen to my friend. Do you do something in the church, even though it may not be your gift? Do you serve in nursery or in kids' life or, or whatever it may be? Do you run sound or do you, whatever the, the ministry might be, do you do those things, even though you're like, I really don't have a gift of working with two-year-olds, 
but I'm going to do it because the gospel compels me to do it. I'm going to put those kids first. I'm going to put their parents first. You see, so often we have this idea that devotions are just something we do. We pray for a couple seconds. We, you know, devotional books, right? We pray, we read a little pithy, uplifting story. It's usually, you know, proof texted with one verse and we're done. Did my devotions for the day. But devotion, devotion is a lifestyle. You guys remember the movie Grease, the, the musical Grease? Hopelessly devoted to you. What does that con? That doesn't conjure up an image of, you know, it, you know, being consumed with someone. And I say that based on scripture, we are to be consumed for good works. Part of this then, as we'll see in, in 13 and 14, is that we need to be generous to those in ministry and to those in need. As Christians, we need to be liberal. That caused a few of you to sit up a little straighter here in the political season. We do. We don't because the opposite of liberal is stingy, right? I want to be liberal liberal with my money. I want to be generous with my resources. I don't want to be stingy. I don't want to keep it all for myself. I want to give it away. So our part of doing good works is living this generous lifestyle. We see this here. When I send, uh, uh, where am I at? 13, do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And then in 14, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So we're to help people in their need. We're to be generous to those in the ministry. What does your budget look like? Does the ministry of Walking Community Church get your leftovers or does it get your first fruits? What are you investing your resources in? Are you investing them in temporal things that are going to go away? Or are you investing them in eternal things that will last? Dave, Dave and I have had this conversation, and so Dave uh, always says, you know, when you say people to look at their budget, you're assuming they have a budget. So let me challenge you. Do you, practically speaking, do you have a budget? If you don't, make one and put God first and put others second. And when I say others, I'm not talking about the mortgage company. I'm talking about others and being generous with your money. You know, this is what happened. I, I've lived this out um, about the same time that I was, um, you know, ruining the kids' Christmas program. Uh, Julie had to, had to quit her job and take a different position that paid less. And uh, so we're sitting there and we're doing what, you know, all young married couples who have no money do, and we're trying to figure out how we're going to make ends meet. And I'm like, okay, well, we'll cut cable, we'll cut the newspaper, we'll do this, we'll do this. Oh, that missionary that we're supporting, cut. And Julie said, no. And I looked at her, I said, wait a minute, I thought you promised to obey. This doesn't... And then she glared at me and did exactly that. And... uh, (laughs) And all seriousness, goes, no, we made a promise. We promised the missionary and we promised God that we would be generous with our money and we'd support them. I'm like, we don't, we don't have any money. And she's like, we do. We just maybe have to cut somewhere else. I'm like, so I can't stop for breakfast at Hardy's every morning now? Is that what you're saying? She goes, yes, that's what I'm saying. And I'm glad she won that argument because she's right. 
we need to be generous with our money and we need to make sure that God is first. Now, if you look at me, I may not have gone to Hardy's every morning for breakfast, but I haven't missed too many meals. So, I mean, God is faithful when we are unfaithful. He is, when we promise and our purpose ourselves to be generous, we are to live generous lives and we are that way. So not only are we to be generous to those in ministry, but real quickly, we're to be generous to those outside of the ministry as well. Do you find ways to meet other people's needs? I love the fact that last fall, our life group uh, heard about a family in need and basically a bunch of kids that weren't going to have Christmas presents and we just adopted the family. It wasn't even my idea. It was somebody else in our life group and they're just like, let's just adopt. And everybody's on board like, yeah. So we all kicked in money and, you know, we're buying Christmas presents and wrapping them and giving them to this family. Not seen them again. Could have been a scam. I don't know. It's irrelevant. God gave us opportunity to be generous and we took it and we ran with it. And I love my life group for it. Ultimately, this is putting others ahead of yourself. We are to live this way not because God is mean and wants us to deny ourselves and not enjoy life. He wants us to live this way because Christ lived this way. Christ lived a selfless life, dedicated to serving others, putting others' needs ahead of his own. So often I think we totally forget this idea that Jesus Christ is God. And as such, when he came down, he didn't give up his godhood, all right? He was still God. And at any point, he could have said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm done. You know, when they mocked him and taunted him when he hung on the cross and they said, you could call down angels if you're really God, they're right. He could have, and he didn't. Why? Because he said in the garden, nevertheless, Father, not my will, but your will be done. How often do we say that to God? Not my will, but your will be done. I have a, a verse up here, uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this, this is, again, Paul talking to another church, but I love this. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If you want to help rather than hurt the ministry of Waukee Community Church, this needs to be our MO. This needs to be our life. This needs to be our heartbeat. We need to remember that it's all about Jesus and it's not about us. We need to be putting other people first and seeking ways to love and to serve others ahead of ourselves. So practically speaking, how does this bear itself out? I think first off, we need to reprioritize our lives. We need to live, we need to reprioritize our lives and understand that we need to, we need to put God's will first, we need to put other people second, and then ourselves behind those. If your life has any other order, then it's out of order. If you want to help the ministry of Waukee Community Church, I'm always fond of saying this, we don't ask for much. We really don't. We just ask for what God asks for, and that's that you give your life away. Give your life away to God, give your life away to others, and serve and love them. 
Because ultimately, as we live that life, as we live a life that is consumed with good works, people notice. I mean, Pastor Jeff just talked about it a little bit ago with the sticky notes. And people notice. They're like, hey, how come I didn't get a sticky note? How come you here? I want you to come serve me too. And people notice. I mean, we, everything that we've, a lot of those things that we've done, people have noticed. They take, I was like, why are you doing this? Because the love of God compels us to go. And don't get me wrong, Faith on Action Sunday is fantastic and I love it, but it's a catalyst to go on. And there are story after story where it has served as a catalyst to go on. It became the beginning of a life of service, not just one more thing to check off our lives. As an elder, part of our job uh, is to work with Pastor Dave and we, we think big. We think, what do we want this church to be about? We, we try to figure out what the vision of this church is to be and, and what we want our church to be known for. And I read a guy, uh, a guy's blog post a, a, a while ago, and uh, he actually pastors uh, Summit Church in uh, Raleigh, Durham. And uh, this is what I pray that Waukee Community Church would be like. You see, they, they have serve RDU, which is RDU is Raleigh, Durham. Uh, it's the airport code. So they're, they're wanting to serve their community, okay? And they have a week every year where it's just a week of finding ways to get involved in serving your community. You know, and he, he says, the goal of this is not uh, that we take one week, do some good deeds, and then purell our hands and forget about it till next year. It serves as a catalyst. And he talks about how he's gotten involved and how people in their church have adopted refugee families and serving in the prisons and, and all these things that they're doing. And this is what I want us to be about. And here's why. He got opportunity um, recently, or a year, year or two ago, to speak at the community's uh, rally or, or presentation for uh, Martin Luther King Day. And uh, they said, you can come and talk as long as you don't talk about anything um, political or controversial. And he said, can I talk about Jesus? And they said, yeah, Jesus is safe. He goes, I don't think you know Jesus then. I love that. But, um, but he gets up there and he's a little nervous and the, and the county manager comes and puts his hand on his shoulder and he says, do you know why you've been asked to speak at this rally? He said, I don't know. I don't know, sir. Um, and the county manager said this, because the members of the summit seem to be present wherever there is need in our community. Let that sink in for just a minute. They are present wherever there is need in the community. Friends, that's what I pray for Waukee Community Church, is that as there are needs in the community, we're there. Loving people, serving people. Because in doing so, we have opportunity to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ and to tell people about the most powerful message that has ever come to earth. That's my prayer for Waukee Community Church. My prayer is that we would be people that would help the ministry of the gospel and not hurt it. That we would focus on the main thing, which is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. Um, I thank you that you remind us that Christ came not to exalt himself, but that he came to be a servant. So, Father, I pray that today we would leave here not exalting ourselves, but that we would find ways to serve others.
that we would live out as Paul did, that we would not worry about being right, that we would focus on the truth, that we would be people who would focus on service and not people who focus on uh, making much of ourselves. Because ultimately, Father, when we do these things, you get the glory. And that's what we want. We want you to get the glory. We thank you and we love you in Christ's name. Amen.